Now, the Mitchells versus the Machines, this movie trailer, right, that we just saw, is, is all about an ordinary, imperfect family that has similar problems, like, like your family, okay? Similar quarrels and fights, like my family, and arguments, like every family, okay? I've yet to meet a family that's not like that, that has arguments and fights, and that's imperfect. And the premise of this movie is that the world is coming to complete and utter desolation and is being taken over by robots. Okay, for some reason the mic just shuts off. I don't know why. Okay, so it's getting taken over by robots, right? And, uh, and, it, and it's so funny um, that everyone on earth is being abducted by these robots and there's only one family left. Guess who? The Mitchells, right? The Mitchell family. They're not the perfect family. They're not the best family for the job. They're the only ones that are left. Now, let's just say they're not the most qualified for the jobs. They're not the ones that you necessarily hope to be the heroes and the rescuers of the day. But nevertheless, they're the only people left that can do anything to stop the robots and to save the world. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I saw this film and when I learned more about each individual character, listen, I found them to be super relatable to me. I found them extremely relatable because, you know, in a world where everyone is aspiring to be spectacular, everybody in the world is attempting to be inspirational and influential, the Mitchells were just average, ordinary, and extremely flawed. That, that's the Mitchells. You know, we live in a world where we celebrate the affluent. We celebrate the groundbreakers, the movement starters, the, the earth shakers. That's who we give attention to. That's who we want to mimic and follow and we want to inspire to be. And in the movie, all those people have been captured by the robots and it's down to one family, the least likely in the whole world to save the day. You know, and I love this because there's so much connection to what we see in the gospel. There's just so much connection to what we see in the gospel through it. That God doesn't come to rescue those who've got it all figured out. But to those who acknowledge their need for a savior. And I love it because that's me. Nothing spectacular. Nothing amazing. Just extraordinary. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, okay? But I think that it's every single one of you as well. And so for the rest of our time, listen, I don't want to encourage you to become better. I don't want to encourage you to grow in your influence or your affluence. That's not what I want for you today. Here's what I want to encourage you to do today. I want to encourage you to be ordinary. And here's why. It's because I believe with my whole heart that God wants to accomplish His extraordinary purposes through extraordinary people. I believe that from the depth of my heart. And in order for that to happen, we need to say like John the baptizer, you guys remember what he said? He said, he must increase and I must what? I must decrease. Amen. We need to say that. So I want to share with you guys today, if you ever wanted to know what my favorite verse in the whole Bible is, okay? My favorite verse, my absolute favorite verse, we're going to read it today. And it's found in the book of Acts. But before we get to it, it's one verse, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. But before we read it, I want to give you guys some context. Well, before we read this verse, it's after the death and the miraculous resurrection of Jesus Christ to pay for the forgiveness of sin and to grant the new, newness of life to all those who would put their faith in Him. It's after this. Jesus tells the disciples that he has to return to heaven, but that something greater would follow, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
And essentially, here's what Jesus was saying when he told the disciples that. He's telling them that God within them would be even greater than God among them. And that ultimately God would accomplish even greater things with the Holy Spirit's power. And so after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the disciples of Jesus, this ragtag group of men, they walk out in the Spirit's power and they're proclaiming the gospel and they see people put their faith in Jesus and they see miracles happen. And it's one such of these miraculous events that gets two guys in some deep trouble, Peter and John. You see, Peter and John are on their way to, to church when they come across a man who's been lame perhaps since birth. And so this lame man is sitting by the entrance to church, to the synagogue, and he's begging for money. He's hoping to get the charity of the churchgoers as they go to church. He's hoping that they'll drop some money in his cup as he's begging for money. And so Peter and John, they come across him, but they don't give him money, but instead they give him something better. They command him in the name of Jesus to receive healing, and the man instantly gets up and he walks among the crowd that is there. And this is what gets the attention of the religious people, and this is what gets Peter and John into big trouble. But when Peter and John are accused, and when they're threatened of severe punishment, they don't back down, and instead they use it as an opportunity to boldly call out the sin of the religious people and to proclaim the gospel to them. These uh, hillbilly fishermen, these ordinary dudes, they get up in front of these educated, religiously instituted, publicly adorned, and respected leaders, and essentially, they do the equivalent of a mic drop. And the religious leaders are left with their jaws on the floor, speechless. And then we read these words. Acts chapter 4 Verse 13, you have it there in your notes, and it's also on the screen. When they, that's the religious leaders, observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. So here's what I want to do for the rest of our time in and perhaps maybe you listened to a sermon this morning or this week. You listened to a podcast where they were trying to make you, encourage you, to inspire you to be better than what you are right now. That's not what I want to do today. Today, I want to help us become extraordinary. And so to become extraordinary, here's number one. You can write this down. Extraordinary people attempt bold things. Extraordinary people attempt bold things. Now listen, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not very much of a thrill seeker, okay? Don't invite me bungee jumping with you. Don't invite me skydiving, all right? I don't want to swim with sharks, okay? That's great that you want to do that. I don't. I don't like roller coasters, especially the ones with loops in them, okay? I don't like the feeling like I'm about to die. I like to feel alive. For those of you that like to feel like you're dying, that's great for you. That's not me. I'm not much of a thrill seeker, okay? But that's not the bold things I'm talking about here. That's not, what I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. In some ways, the bold things that I am talking about and the bold things that extraordinary people attempt is even scarier than an upside-down roller coaster. Okay? I want us to read uh, the exact verses that show us what I described earlier, uh, the exact reason why Peter and John got in trouble in the first place. You find it actually in the chapter before the verse we just read, 
Acts chapter 3. You have this in the notes. I picked a couple verses just to give you the overarching story. Here's what it says, verse 3. When he, this is the, uh, the, the lame man, when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. He's begging for money. He needs their charity. Verse 6, Peter says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And verse 8 says, so he, this is the lame man, the once upon a time lame, the former lame man, he jumped up and he started to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this is some bold stuff right here. Right? This is some bold stuff. Imagine I told you guys, after church today, we're going to go walk around Knickerbocker and look for some people in wheelchairs and pray for them. Right? That, that would be bold. Right? This is what Peter and John are experiencing. These guys had enough courage to, to believe that God not only could, but that he would heal this man before all the witnesses that were present. And it was a supernatural confidence and faith in God to do the miraculous, and Peter and John saw it happen. Now, let me ask you guys this question. What bold things is God asking of you? What have you been lacking faith in God to do? Maybe because you think you're not qualified, or maybe because you think that you're not gifted enough. Maybe you've thought to yourself, man, I'm not educated enough for what I feel like God is calling me to do. Maybe because you don't have enough money, or because... You, you don't have a certain degree or because of whatever other excuse I failed to, to list here or mention here. And listen, I'm not referring to some selfish dream you might have because you see, that's not bold. A selfish dream that maybe you have, it's not, it's not bold. That's what everybody else pursues and that's what everybody else gives their life for and that's what everybody else sells their soul for. I'm talking about what God-honoring, God-ordained, God-calling, God-glorifying, bold thing is God asking you to accomplish. For you, maybe God has put, in, he's put a burden on you for people who are incarcerated and who are unjustly penalized by the system. Maybe God put that into your heart. And you don't have to wait for our church to start some ministry geared towards your specific calling, okay? You begin to pray and you begin to pursue ways to serve those people that God has broken your heart for. Maybe you have a heart for elderly or, or, homebound, or homebound neighbors. Then you take the bold step of picking up the phone to call them or you go ahead and buy yourself a Metro card so you can pay them a visit. Or maybe you have a, a heart to help our Spanish-speaking neighbors in our community to learn English then you begin to connect with them and you offer services or you sign up to volunteer at an organization that's already doing a great job doing it. Listen, you don't need permission to accomplish God's plans and purposes. You don't need permission for that. What you need is boldness. You don't need pedigree. You don't need a degree to do what God's called you to do. What you need is obedience, boldness, and a willing heart to follow God wherever he would lead you. Extraordinary people, you know what they do? They attempt bold things. Here's number two in your notes. You can write this down. 
Extraordinary people don't fit the mold. Extraordinary people don't fit the mold. You know, in Jesus' day, there was a process the religious leaders had to follow in order to get to the level of prominence that they had. You had to be chosen by one of the respected leaders, and you had to be discipled by them. Listen, you had to look a certain way. You had to dress a certain way. You, need, you had to walk and talk a certain way. And what they were essentially trying to do was to make carbon copies of people. And only those people would be the ones that were, you know, holy and chosen and set apart by God. Only those that went through the process. But in comes Peter and John. And the rest of Jesus' crew. And they're the complete antithesis to the mold that was formed by the religious people. They didn't dress like them. They didn't talk like them. They didn't come from a privileged family line or a long line of religious leaders. Jesus' primary disciples came from all different walks of life, from different families, from different upbringings, and different trades and jobs. Most of them didn't even have much formal religious training or education. In fact, look at Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Once again, it's there in your notes. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were what? Say that word aloud. They were uneducated and what? And untrained men. They were amazed. They realized that they were uneducated and untrained. And part of what was amazing about this particular miracle was not just that a lame man got up and began to walk, but the people that God used to see that miracle come to fruition. They realized that Peter were uneducated and untrained, Peter and John. And in fact, if you look at the original language that the book of Acts is written in, it's, called, it's a language called Greek. And so when you read the word that's translated untrained here in the CSB, the version that we just read it, is the Greek word idiotes. And I just put the, the definition for you guys up on the screen. This is the definition of the Greek word that's translated untrained. It's used of a person who conspicuously lacks education or status, hence easily misunderstood as being uninstructed, unrefined, or unlettered in speech. In fact, did you guys know this, that the Greek word idiotes is where we get our English word. Anybody want to take a guess? Idiot. 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 That's where we get our Greek word. That's where we get our English word idiot from, from this Greek word idiotes. So listen, the translators here are being very nice here when what the religious leaders are thinking about Peter and John is how can these guys do this and how can they speak with such boldness when they're a bunch of idiots? And guess what? You're an idiot too. You're an idiot too, or at least we can all be. We can all be because, listen, idiots don't fit the mold. And God doesn't want you to. God doesn't want you to fit the mold. Here's what's interesting about the disciples, okay? You see, the religious leaders thought that they were untrained and uneducated, but that wasn't true, was it? Because they were trained and they were educated, just not in the same things, the way the religious leaders were. When Jesus called most of these disciples, listen, they were working a trade. They had a job when Jesus called them. And they were experts in their field and what they were doing. Whether they were fishermen, they were great fishermen. If they were tax collectors, they were expert tax collectors. If they were zealots, they were experts in their field. They were knowledgeable in their particular area of expertise. Plus, remember, these guys spent three and a half years with Jesus. 
Three and a half years apprenticing with Jesus. Jesus showed them how to do ministry. He showed them how to preach and teach. He, he showed them how to love and how to serve others. These men were each gifted and talented in their own way in order to accomplish God's plans and purposes. Listen, Swerve, what are the different ways, what are the unique ways that God has uniquely wired and gifted you? Because you see, God wants to use your giftings, your wiring, your abilities, and your experience to accomplish His mission of seeking and saving the lost. Everyone in this room, everybody in this room, has been gifted by God in a specific way. And we're all different. We're not cookie cutter or carbon copies of one another or someone else. We're all unique. And God wants to use each of our individual giftings corporately to advance the gospel here in our neighborhood and beyond. Don't allow what you don't have or your lack of experience or your lack of education to stop you from experiencing God's purposes because extraordinary people don't fit the mold. We recognize that God has given us all a unique shape and wants to use our distinctiveness for His glory. Extraordinary people don't fit the mold. And here's the last thing for today. Number three, you can write this down. Extraordinary people spend time with Jesus. Extraordinary people spend time with Jesus. And this is perhaps the most important thing that we can mention all day. Because at the end of the day, the only distinction the religious leaders could make of Peter and John was this right here. Look at one more time, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized what? That they had been with Jesus. This right here is our most important takeaway. Because many times, you know, in my own personal experience, I have noticed that many people, uh, many people want to accomplish great things for Jesus without spending time with Jesus. And this is easy to do for us in a city like New York City, where we're so easily consumed by the rat race of life in our city, getting to and from work and the commuting and the traffic and the people and the stress and the anxiety. And don't get me started with the parking, right? And how easily are we distracted from the thing that truly matters the most. And let's be honest, even ministry and the pursuit of a good thing can keep, can keep us from pursuing the source of that good thing. And I'm pretty sure I sound like a broken record. I have mentioned this many times. I sound like I'm beating the same drum over and over again when I say this. But I'll stop saying it when we begin believing it and living it. And that is that if we truly want to be set apart and if we truly want to be used by God, and if we truly want to see Him do His, His work and great things in and through us, we must spend time with Jesus. And how do we do that? You're all off to a great start today. Because you push through the obstacles, you push through the difficulty, the challenges, to get here today. So you're off to a great start. When we, when we gather together to worship Jesus and to listen from God's word, or on a Wednesday evening when we gather at a life group to encourage and uplift one another through prayer and time spent together. And while there's definitely a corporate side to spending time with Jesus, there's also your time to spend with Jesus. 
It's spending time daily, reading God's word and in prayer. It's you working up the energy to get to church on a Sunday evening or plugging into a life group. It's you making a priority of utilizing your God-given gifts to serve others and to share the gospel. When it came down to it, in the lives of Peter and John, with these religious leaders, the only thing that they could pinpoint was that these guys were around Jesus a lot. The only thing they were able to acknowledge was they had spent time with Jesus. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, and I'm going to invite you uh, to participate in communion. And in a second, a, a song is going to come on on the screen, and you, you can sing along, you can listen, you can pray, you can participate in communion. The, the cups are over here uh, on my right. But, but, but as we do, and before, before we do that, I want to invite you to be extraordinary. Don't be fooled by the world to think that you need to be extravagant, that you need to be boisterous, that you need to be spectacular. And listen, don't beat yourself up as you scroll through your Instagram feed, looking at all those people with the perfect bodies and the successful careers and the luxurious life. Don't beat yourself up looking at that. And instead, understand that God loves to use extraordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. Let's pray. God, I pray for every single person here in the room today. Lord, I pray that you would help us to attempt bold things for you. For some of us in this room, God, you put a dream on our heart. You, 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 put, in, uh, you put a desire upon our lives to, to start a ministry, to serve someone, to do something, God. And we've put it to the side and we've put excuses in the way God, I just pray you would help us to, to pick that up, Lord, and to do and to accomplish the bold things that you have prepared for us in advance to do. God, I thank you that every person in this room is unique, and you have wired us in unique ways, and you've made us unique, and you've gifted us each uniquely, God. And I thank you, God, that we're not carbon copies of one another, that in this room we have different experiences, different levels of expertise, different uh, understandings, and different levels of education. But God, that you want to use it all for your glory and for your honor and to advance the gospel. So thank you, God, that we are all unique. And Lord, we want to spend time with you, God. We want to spend time with you. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to prioritize our time. God, to make first things first. God, to put the excuses to the side so that we can surrender our time to you and spend time with you in your word, worshiping with God's people and in prayer. God, that we may make that a priority in our lives. And that others may say the same of us, God. Just ordinary people trusting an extraordinary God to accomplish your good and perfect purposes. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.